I-Y-K-Y-K. Some of the young people are chuckling. Some of our elders are saying, what is going on with him? What's he into now? I-Y-K-Y-K. It's an acronym of a phrase referencing the fact that there are outsiders and insiders. It's when the author has presumed upon assuming that his audience will understand any of the following examples. Not everybody, but someone will know the significance of fill in the blank, his picture that he just posted, her statement that she just gave. Not everybody, but someone will know the significance of what they have just stated. The intended audience aren't those who are ignorant of what the author knows, but it speaks to the ignorance of others and the knowledge of some select few, I-Y-K-Y-K. If you're in the dark right now, welcome to my world. I was too. Until someone probably about 10 years old filled me in. I-Y-K-Y-K is just a small acronym for a phrase that states, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. That sounds like a little redundant, but with different pictures, it's like, if you know, you know. It's, uh, you know, it would appear that the youngest and most inexperienced individuals of our culture love to throw around that phrase the most. I'd like to pass down a simple adjusted phrase to my younger friends this evening. It's simply this, if you don't know, you don't know. I hope that's all right. I'm not trying to offend every generation right off the bat. So far, I might be doing a good job, but <clears throat> if you don't know, you don't know. There is still so much to learn in life if you are under the age of, oh, I don't know, 16 19, 25, pick one. I, I'm, not, I'm honestly not trying to offend anybody tonight, but, but I would like us to, to realize, you know, I, I, I enjoy and count the time as a privilege when I do get to stand and sit with the elders and speak with them because it's in those moments there's much that I don't know. And I've got to look myself in the mirror and say, Jack, if you don't know, you don't know. There's so much that we don't know, and, and there are many things that God would prefer that we stay ignorant about. There's a laundry list of things that God would much rather we didn't know. He'd much rather that we didn't know about the impact and the effects of sin. He'd much rather that you didn't know about wrongdoing. He'd much rather that your ignorance uh, be maintained when it's the result of some of your internet searches. He'd rather you didn't open the door to promiscuity. He'd rather that you didn't know what it was like to be drunk or stoned or fill in the blank with anything that you shouldn't do. He'd rather that you didn't know what most of you shouldn't know anything about. If you don't know, you don't know. But there are some things that God would like us to know. I know that this isn't <clears throat> uh, maybe hitting the ball out of the park right now, but if you'll stay with me, I do believe that God spoke with me about what to talk to you about tonight. So I'd like to just take a few moments and speak to the next generation Pentecostals that are here in the room right now. The next generation, the second generation, and the third generation Pentecostals. The, the first generation Pentecostals, often their fire burns brightly. They, they are <clears throat> on fire for God, but it's easy for the next generation Pentecostals to presume and then resume the life that they have been given or walk into the path that they have been on from birth along with their family. And, and I would like to remind us that, <clears throat> that 
One of the greatest gifts of our past is that we can inherit the bountiful blessings that naturally come with redemptive lift. We are blessed with this building. We are blessed with uh, the chapel that we had lunch with. We're blessed with this hilltop that we all drove onto today. We are blessed because of some history and some heritage. And just, just simple good living can bring God's blessing into our lives. Some of, <clears throat> some of what we have received uh, is, is, is this, the, the buildings that we didn't build, the sacrifices that we didn't make, the reputation, our heritage and our history give us credibility in our community because of you good people that have went on before us. But the greatest danger is that we inherit something, but don't allow it to become inherent in our lives. We run the risk of religion without relationship. We run the risk of the Spirit moving instead of the Spirit filling and the Spirit leading and the Spirit guiding. We can operate in the realm of apostolic Pentecostal church if we've grown up in it, but the danger is that we learn how to navigate it without ever allowing it to become a part of the compass that guides and directs our lives. We don't just want to navigate the Spirit of God in a service. We want the Spirit of God to impact us personally and individually and directly into our lives that God would speak to us until something is changed and until something is transformed until something is transferred not just by our environment but something is transferred in the Holy Ghost from that realm into this realm and we become something that God intends for us to be we can fabricate a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. The, the, the warning is there in Scripture because it's a reality that churches fall into time after time. We can sing the songs that empty the seats. We can work in an emotional realm and familiar, familiarize ourselves with enjoyable new pathways, but we can walk directly out of the purpose that God would desire us to be in. New paths rarely cross paths with real power. We talked a little bit about paths last week, and, and we talked about the power of the path and, and that we need those paths restored in our lives, and, and that's still in my spirit, and I, I, I think it might be there for a few weeks, so hold on. It's over the doorway out there. We're, we're making this real this year. Someone say restore. Those new paths that sometimes we travel on rarely cross paths with real power. And it's the old paths that God calls us to. It was Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 13. It said, for from the least of them even unto the greatest of them. He's giving this synopsis of Israel's spiritual status. He, he said, every one of them is given to covetousness. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The prophet was prophesying and they had the priesthood in place. They, they could preach up a storm. They employed all the right staff, but the people were lost. They were, uh, he said, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. There was this statement that God was making over Israel. He said, she's in a bad place. They've got everything in order. 
on the outside. They've got everything in order and it looks good and it sounds good. And they're speaking the right thing and it's a great prophecy to declare peace, peace, peace. But the promise that God had for them wasn't going to be realized because they were far from God. That, that's the danger that, that we, we, we pause in these activities that we go through because we need to take moments where we remember where we have come from. The solution was simple for restoration. And God gives the answer. He said, thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. You see, we want what they had, but we've got to be willing to pray, pay the price that they paid. And I'll give the, the usual disclaimer that we always give right here. Don't get me wrong. We want demonstrative worship. Don't get me wrong. We want wonderful music. Don't get me wrong. We all love a good padded seat. But if it meant that the old pad that produced the old power took us back to brush arbors, then God give us a brush arbor. If it means that the power falls on seats that aren't padded, then God take me back to those old slats, pews in Harvey, Harvey Camp. And you all know that it pinched you just like it pinched us. You could be 50 pounds or 500. You were still getting pinched. And if it means out of tune pianos and song leaders that may not know how to keep the beat or sing on key, then God give us that kind of thing. If that is what brings the power of God, and, and I'm not saying it does, but if it was, then I'd be willing to walk out of all of this into all of that so God could bring us back to an old path with an old-fashioned, old-time Pentecostal power. God, give us what we had. Give us that old path. But that warning is right there in Scripture, right there in the Word, because technology and style may change, but people don't. God said, stand ye in the ways. Get in the crossroads, is what he was saying. And see and ask for the old paths. Get, get in a place where people are progressing, but they may be going in the wrong direction, so make sure you ask the right question. He said, get in the way and see and ask for the old paths. He said, get out there in the middle of it and say, you know, how did we used to do this? Because we can change the environment, but we can't change the formula that got us what we got. We need the original formulas. We need the original power. We need original kind of prayer. We need original kind of anointing. We, we need that. We, we got to ask for, you know, how did they get there? Brother Kenny, thank you for the stories today. Because of, it kind of stirred something up in our spirit, didn't it? Didn't it just kind of light a little fire to say, God, give us that kind of hunger. God, give us that kind of desire. God, give us that kind of power. God, let that operate in our midst today. You know, the, the part of the verse that caught my attention when I read and reread it, it said, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Where's the good way? And walk there, and ye shall find rest for your souls. I, I don't know if there's ever been a generation, Jack included, with as much unrest in their spirit. They're upset in their souls. They're depressed in their souls. The, 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 the 
the generation that we are in right now, if there was ever a generation that needs to find rest, not for their bodies. We've got, we've got that. We, we, you know, we step away enough to, to get rest for our bodies. But he said, you shall find rest for your soul. That there's something deeper than the surface. There's something deeper than the physical that you need in your life. You need a rest in your spirit. There is something that God wants to give you. And, and you're not going to find it in the new pathway. You're not going to find it where everybody's progressing at some perceivable rate that you would desire. I'm telling you that God says go back to the old path. And say, you know, how did they used to do this? How, how did we get to where we got? Somebody remind me. And that's what today was. It was a wonderful reminder of where God has brought us from. But the danger, you, you read on in that verse, and I almost hate to read it because, you know, it's kind of exciting right now. Everyone's kind of, but, but you read on, and, and Israel said, we will not walk therein. They said, we don't want it. No thanks. God's given us the answer, but we have got to be willing to ask the right question. We've got to ask for the old path. Where? Where's the old path? Where's the old path lead us? Where's the old path take us? Where, where'd the old path come from? And where's the old path going to? Where? Where's the old path? Ask for it. Seek it. Desire it. And so today we intentionally stop running down the path that we're on so we could ask ourselves, are we still on the old path? Take a look around. Are, are we doing all right? And I believe that we are. And I'm grateful for Pastor Woodward, his leadership. I'm grateful for our team. I'm grateful that we have an environment where, where we lean in and we have the opportunity to, to speak into each other's life. And we have the opportunity to, to give direction and course correction. We've got, we've got that. I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for a fellowship. And I'm grateful for ministry that is in our apostolic district and beyond and Canadian uh, the Canadian ministry and then the international ministry. I'm grateful for that because we got people and we're online every service. They, they've got a right to, to speak into our lives and say, you know, I think you're a little off track on that, Jack. We've got that kind of accountability and we need it. We need it because we don't want to stray from the path that got us to where we are. Are we still a praying people? Are we still a stay until praying people, until we're endued with power from on high, until the answer comes, until God shows up, until his anointing destroys yokes of bondage. Are, are, are we that kind of people? Are we still got any apostolic Pentecostals in the room tonight? Anybody here right now that says, I, I want that, I, I desire that, I, I want to walk that path. That's the path that I would desire to be on. Is this still our priority? Is this worth dying for? Is this worth living for? Do we believe that our world needs to hear the message of salvation that we've got? Let's get a little bit personal. Does, do we still believe that our world needs the testimony that you've got? Someone needs to know your story. There isn't anything more powerful than a personal testimony. Nobody can argue, argue it from you. No one can dismiss it from your life. You just know that you know this is what God did for me. I listened to Brother Kenny preach about Brother, Brother Drost, Bill Drost the Pentecost, driving his bicycle. Did you say 16 miles? 17 miles. 17 miles. That's like a She's for Christ bikeathon. That's more than a She's for Christ bikeathon. We do 20 kilometers to get to church. 
that connection, that collaboration, that, that communion was so desired that they'd crawl up in the back of trucks and travel down old dirt roads. That is something we need, the desire, the hunger. The old path is a proven path. Are we still on the old path? The old path is powerful, and the great news is, is that the old path is available. But we've got to want it, and we've got to ask for it. God is not going to ask us for something that's not available. God said, stand in the way. Come on, you got to stop up life for a few minutes and say, God, I'm going to get out there in the midst of everything that's happened. I'm going to ask the question, where's the old path? What does the old path lead us to? Direct us, God. Order our steps until we're walking fully in the paths that are proven. I want, we want, we need the old paths. Someone just take a moment, lift your hands and ask the Lord. I'm praying that God would let conviction rest. Young people, would you let your voice out for a moment? Some of our elders have walked in these paths for a long time, and it's something that we just got to let rest in our spirit. God, we won't be content until. God, we won't be happy until. God, we are desiring. God, we want it. We want the old path. We're, we're willing to ask for it. God, we're willing to seek it out. We're, we're willing. God, we're willing to push back some of the brush until we're walking on the right path. God, let our lives re reflect what our elders sacrificed for. Let our, let our lives reflect, God, the price that they paid. God, let us walk in a place of sacrifice. Let us walk in a place of obedience. God, let us walk in a place of humility. God, let us walk in that pathway today. Jesus, help us right now. Would you just lean into that prayer for another moment? Young people, I'm especially challenging us right now. I, I'm asking us, be intentional about hearing the word. God, let your word, God, dive deep in our spirit right now. We need... We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. <clears throat> I, I, I've, made, I've made this statement multiple times, and I know <clears throat> that I echo our pastoral team when I say we need a multi-generational church. We need it. It's all right. <clears throat> Because scripture tells us that every generation brings something to the table. The strength with the youth, the wisdom with the elders. Everybody bring, and everybody else in between. We all bring something to 
the table. But <clears throat> we, don't, we don't just want a multi-generational church that everybody comes and assembles themselves and keeps to themselves. We need a multi-generational church that is interconnected. I, I, I was listening to an audio book this summer and I was going through it and, and it said the growing churches right now aren't just churches that are multi-generational. They are churches where the generations connect and serve together. Is that not cool? So the, the, the admonishment and the observation by this, this author was that if we want a growing church, then we can't just assemble ourselves. We've got to connect together from generation to generation. And, 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 and I tell you, young people, can I just challenge us one more time that, that before we scroll through our phones to look for the latest word from somebody that may be our peer or may be popular, can I tell you that, that you'd be well served just to kind of take a moment and sidle up alongside of some of our seniors and say, have you got anything that we can talk about? Let's just take a few minutes and, and let's just break down some stories. To, come on, talk to me about the good old days. Talk to me about the good old past. Talk to me about, about some of the things. In, and I, I love, I tell you, our, our first conversation with the Kinneys wasn't today. Different times during district conferences uh, that, that we connect and we'd have the opportunity to sit down for a, a little bite to eat after one of the services and, and never failed that in those conversations I would leave encouraged because of something that's happened in our past that met us right where we were in the present because God never changes. And that connection brings authority and that connection brings unity in the church. And if we can have a united church, I, I, we just don't need people from every generation looking from the pew to the pulpit. We need people from every generation working together in the kingdom of God, accomplishing God's purpose. That's when this transforms into something powerful. That's when this becomes a soul-winning station, a hospital for the sick and the hurting. That is when this transforms into the church that God has called us to be in this end time. It's a multi-generational church. It was Ezra 3 where the generations came together. It was one of Israel's, should have been one of Israel's great celebrations. Israel had returned from Babylon captivity and after about 50 years in that captivity, they were ready to restore the temple and rebuild the city. They find it in ruins and it's inhabited by foxes. They lack the resources and craftsmanship to restore it to its original magnificence. So they decide to build a smaller and more modest structure. They labor tirelessly for two years to clear the rubble and lay the foundation. And when it's completed, the priests gather the people together to celebrate this glorious achievement. Ezra 3 verse 12 tells us, but the story. Now, now, this is supposed to be this glorious achievement. It says, but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice. They remembered what it had been. And because they remembered what it had been, they, they couldn't celebrate what was happening in the now. It said so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout because the younger men who hadn't seen the former foundation were celebrating. But the elder men who had seen it were in sorrow. And this division came in the midst of the people. There was mixed reviews. The elders wept and the youth rejoiced. So, so in the midst of everything that is happening, God challenges them. But, but before we get there, 
let me just tell you that, that the same thing can happen today. So why were those elders weeping? Because they had only an eye for what was missing, not for what God was doing. They were consumed with comparison. And they missed the opportunity to celebrate what God was doing in the present. They could only see the footprint of the former temple. And they refused to see what God was doing in the present. You only got to give God a little bit and he can take it the rest of the way. You only got to start. And sometimes, sometimes if we're not careful, we, we, we got to ask for the old past. And we need the old past. And we got to walk in the old past. But if we're not careful, we can still be living in history. And God's calling us to the present to accomplish that purpose in the here and now. They missed the opportunity to celebrate. But what was worse than that was that there was a danger in that the restoration would be forfeited. Can I just remind us that the enemy loves division. He loves division in your marriage. He loves division in your home. He loves division between parents and children. He loves division in the church. He loves division. He loves division. He likes taking something that's whole and splitting it in half. And Israel didn't have a great track record of how they responded to discouragement. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness would be a great reminder that God intends for us to go up and take the country. And I get it, I get it. Nobody wants to redo the work they already did. Nobody loves the idea of starting over the thing that they already started. But, here they were. The footing course was, was laid. The foundation was in place. And the people were divided up the middle. Some were celebrating and some were sorrowing. And if we're not careful, we can sorrow over what we don't have and refuse to see what we do. It's in this environment that God invites the voice of Zechariah. Zechariah is a contemporary. And so he speaks in Zechariah 4 verse 10. He said, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. This is God speaking to Israel. He said, his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? God was saying, don't get your eye on the perimeter of the foundation. Don't, don't get your eye. In it. And I, I can just imagine in my mind's eye what those, those elders were doing. They were kind of pacing off the perimeter of that foundation. They're like, oh, this is a lot smaller than what it used to be. You ever built a house? Anyone ever been there in the midst of construction? Before the walls go up? And you look at that small piece of concrete and you think, i got to live in that? I remember when Pastor Woodward was building his house in St. John. We were excited about it. And we went, we went up there. He had that slab there. And, and I remember thinking, oh, my word, how, how is he going to live in that? If you're not careful, you can shoot down something great before it even begins. If you're not careful, we can get critical about the present because we've got an eye on the past when, when we don't realize God is working in the here and now and he's preparing to do something great and he just needs a small start. He just needs a small beginning. Just give me something to start with and that's where I'm going to do my great work. God doesn't need something great to do something great. God just needs somebody willing. God just needs someone to stand up and say, God, it may not be everything yet, but we we're on our way. God, bring revival. Bring your power. Bring your purpose. 
who, who hath despised the day of small things? He said this, he went on, God said, for they shall rejoice. It's going to come, but you get to pick whether or not you're going to be the rejoicing one. You got to choose. God's got us all here in 2024 on purpose. God's got us all here. God's got us all here to celebrate what he's doing. And I'm not saying we don't need, I already, I already qualified. I already said we need voices to speak into our lives and we need course corrections. Because none of us got this all together all by ourselves. But I am saying that if we're not careful, we can become critical. And if you want to shut down what God's doing right here, right now, let a critical attitude come in. That's what happened with ten spies. And for 40 years, Israel wandered, one year for every day. That they got to wander in the promised land. They got to wander and see the goodness and the greatness of God. So God said, you know what, because you're not willing to go into the promise, you're going to wander in the wilderness for one year for every day. You experience the promised land. You're not going to walk into it. So for 40 years, a generation wastes away. And Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that walk into the promise that God has. Critical attitudes can can just be so punitive to what God wants to do. Critical attitudes can, can just squash God's purpose. It, it can push back revival. It can just push it down the field. Can, can I say, let's begin to celebrate about what God's doing. We don't know yet. We, we don't know. We can't even imagine completely what God is going to do. We, we have yet to see it. We have not seen it yet. That's why we have to be careful. Elders, I am not criticizing us either. I put myself in the elder category. <laughs> A whole new world. <laughs> I'll take it. God has so much in store. We can come back to the music. God has so much in store for us that we have yet to know. If you know, you know. But if you don't know, you, you don't know. It was Paul that stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions, and I found the altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Paul said, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I was thinking through that verse a little while ago, and I jotted it in my notes on my phone. It's, Month, month or so ago. And I, I, I just said, to a degree, he, he's unknown to all of us. To a degree, none of us know God in the way. Paul said, oh, that I might know him. That there's this place of suffering that we get to know God. There's this place of rejoicing that we get to know God. There, there are so many facets to God that we have yet to know. We, he's still unknown to so many of us. And, and sometimes we worship him ignorantly. We, we don't yet know, but he's unpacking the future and he's unpacking the promise and he's opening the door for revival. And we're about ready to walk into some things that we have never known before. Eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard. And, and yeah, that's speaking about heaven, but there's some things that God is going to do here and now that we have yet to see we have yet to see the latter and the former reign together we have yet to see the end time harvest that God has promised we have yet to see the restoration of his complete work come into being we have
have yet to see that, but I would desire to see it. We would desire to see it. Jesus, we long for that, that we would know you. You see, the problem is, and the reason that we bring this challenge today, and why I'm so grateful for what Brother Kenny preached to us this morning, is that if you don't know what you're missing, then you'll never really strive for it. That's the power of Sears catalog, Christmas catalog. See, I'm in that elder category. That's the power of one ad on your Facebook feed that takes you down the trail because you know you need a lumber sawmill. That's the power of it because if you don't know, then you'll never strive for it. But if, if you know what's missing, then you want to go after it. And that's the power of the word, not just black ink on white paper. The power of the word is that it releases a vision to see what God has in store for us. And, it, and when that comes off the page and lands in your spirit, you're not happy until you get it. You're not happy until you're unpacking it. You're not happy until it becomes a reality. You're not happy. Why? Because the unknown becomes known. And we're speaking restoration over this year. We're speaking restoration over our families. And we're speaking restoration over this future that God has given us. We're speaking every lost prodigal back home. We're, we're calling for it. We're praying about it. We're asking God to do it. And those are the things that are known. And we believe that God has given us the word. Not just to restore, but that God is challenging us to recover what's been lost. You see, that's the power of the old path. That's the power of conversations with some of our seniors is that we begin to hear about some things that were part of our past and something rises in our spirit. I had someone meet me after service this morning and said, I'd like to talk to you about that all night prayer meeting you mentioned because something gets birthed in the spirit and come on, before you shut it down in the natural, let your spiritual man begin to hear what God's speaking to our church because it's going to take some all night prayer meetings to bring us back to some old paths. It, it's going to take some personal, come on, some personal dedication and personal devotion and personal, it's going to take that because it takes us back to that old path. It takes us to this place where we say, you know what? I, I'm not going to be happy until we've got what they had and more. It was David. The Amalekites had invaded the south. Burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters were taken captives. Their city gone, burned to the ground, razed. But David gets there. He's broken hearted. His men are so distressed. The people turn against David. They're ready to stone him. It's in that environment that David encourages himself in the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you read on into verse 8, it says, And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop, and shall I overtake them? Everything's gone. They took everything that we had, and our families. Our sons and our daughters, our wives are gone. The men were away at war, and now they come back to absolutely nothing. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this troop? God, have we got enough to get back what is ours? God, have we got what it takes? And somewhere something's going to rise in our spirit to say, God, 
We're going to recover some things. We're going after that because, because we realize it's the first thing to recovery is realizing what's gone. That's the power of inventory in a store. They realize we got too many shoplifters. Well, they realize we don't, we don't have enough stock on the shelves. They, inventory tells them what's gone and what they've got. And sometimes we've got to take personal inventory in our lives because it's the only way that we're going to realize what we need to recover. And we've got to sit down and we've got to do some assessment and say, God, what's missing in my life? What's the spiritual dynamics that I am not operating in? What, what, what am I missing out on? <laughs> what? What do I need to recover? What's the enemy stolen from me? You, you never forget when a thief takes something that's yours. I have a horrible memory, but I remember every time somebody stole something from me. And nobody's here in the building. Don't worry. But you don't forget it when somebody steals what's yours because you feel violated. You know that's wrong. And you know that's mine. I remember I... Oh, we won't get into all the stories. You gotta see in my nose. Car stereo in St. John. I remember a BB gun I had in the back of my van. Took the guys down to uh, a service and it was Justin's Pelagon. Came out and somehow the back hatch had been left unlocked and it was gone. You don't forget. You don't forget when somebody steals something from you. Can I remind us the enemy is stealing everything he can from us. If he can pull apostolic power and apostolic, if he can pull history and heritage and holiness away from us, if, if he can pull away some of our, our, come on, our distinctives as people of God, the things that separate us from the world, if the, if the enemy can steal that from us, then he's happy. He just goes on his way. And sometimes we got to step back and say, God, it's time to do a little assessment here. Where are we at? What is, what is gone that used to be here? And so David, he's in this place. He's like, God, I, I don't know. I'm limited and we're tired and, and I don't know. What do I do? He said, God, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And verse, verse 8 goes on to say, pursue for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Part of the restoration that God wants to bring to us is us going after what needs to be recovered. It's about us going after the things that, that have been stolen from our lives and stolen from our families. And, 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 and someone's got to get mad enough and determined enough and, and get enough grit in their spirit to say, God, do we pursue it? And God's going to give you this answer. He's going to say, you know what? You pursue it, for you will surely overtake it. And without fail, you're going to recover it. And so when God gives you a word like that, you march on into the promise with purpose because God is going to recover all. God's going to give it back. God will not be a debtor. God will not allow the enemy to win the war. It's ours. Can we stand together? Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for allowing me to fill in this gap tonight. But I do believe that God wants us to take some things and recover them. 
I wish someone would get it in their mind right now. I, I wish someone would get it in your spirit. I'm going after it. I, I'm going for it. I, I, I know. I, I realize God just gave me a word. God just gave me a vision. God just showed me. God just come. Come on. God just revealed something to me. That's what we need to speak. God recover. I, I love how the verse go on. I won't read the whole, the whole chapter, but it says, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his family. Whatever was gone, David got it back. God's speaking it over our church this year. God's going to do this restoration work. But it means we've got to be willing to recover. That's what they call tow truck drivers now, recovery drivers. They, they go down there in that ditch and pull, pull your little Honda Civic back out call it recovery, recovery, getting it back. Someone just speak in your spirit, God, God, I'm getting it back. I don't know. I didn't realize that that was gone. I, I didn't realize that that was lost. I, I didn't realize I'd, I'd gone that far down that path. I, I didn't realize, but God, we're coming back. We're, we're asking God, we're going to recover everything. Because part of what God is going to restore in this year is what we're going to recover. That is ours. We're getting it back. I wish you lift your hands and begin to ask God. God, give us direction. God, give us authority. God, give us a word in the midst of whatever we're walking through right now. Give us a word. I'm opening the altar. I, I, I don't know if there's someone that just says, I, I'm going after it. I'm, I'm going in. I, I'm determined. I've got my mind made up. It's time for recovery. It's time to get it all back. Whatever the enemy's taken, it's time to get it back. Come on. His word already spoke to us. The years. The years of the canker worm, the caterpillar, the polar worm. God, you're going to restore it. God, we're praying that there be a recovery of health, a recovery of wealth. God, a recovery of your promises, a recovery in our families, a recovery of the wayward sons and daughters, a, a recovery, God, a recovery of passion and a recovery of purpose. God, a recovery. Come on, lift your voice. Cry out for a moment. 